0: Anyway, back to the podcast. Sanctuary. You're still standing. <laughs> You've taken some shots, but you're still standing. And you may be tempted to think, oh, that's, that's, that's no thing. That's not a big deal it's a it's a huge thing it's a huge deal that you're here with a little faith in your heart and a song on your lips that you're still standing i as i i talk with tom sometimes i can pick up on that well i i i was hoping for more than just standing at this point you know maybe all of us uh, hoping for a little bit more progress than we've seen uh, in the last few years in particular, but there's something to just standing. So Tiff and I have gotten to travel a little bit this fall as things have opened up. And so we've gotten to be uh, in the Midwest in Kansas City and we've gotten to be uh, in the great white north of Canada. And uh, we've gotten to be in, Uh, San Diego uh, in the fall and I I just it's been helpful for me to travel and get a sense of what's been happening in other uh, places but I I just want to say this has been a brutal a brutal season for the saints Um, there seem to be no exceptions uh, to that it's been a, a really difficult time and so again it's a big Deal that you're uh, still here. Large established churches have been brought low. Strong churches have been humbled in this uh, season. So many of them have closed. Uh, so many have left. Again, I, I know that you uh, know all this. So, but I just want to say what you've endured, what you've endured in your infancy is astounding. It's amazing that you're still standing. Um, it, 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 it's mind-blowing. So I, I knew it was bad when people started washing up in Visalia from major cities all over the U.S. <laughs> Not that Visalia is a bad place. Tom gets on me often for talking down on Visalia. It, it's, it's a great uh, place, but at church on Sundays, it felt like every week I was meeting someone from New York you know that's not off that's not common for us (laughs) I'd be like hey where are you from thinking he was gonna say you know just down the street I'm from Portland where are you from I'm from San Diego no joke week after week and I just thought oh my goodness there is a mass exodus uh going on again this is like news for us I still remember when Billy showed up at radiant you know and we were like have you met the new guy Apparently, this is, again, this is common for you guys in San Francisco, but for us, it was like, have you met the new guy from San Clemente, you know? It was like, apparently, he's a pharmaceutical rep. and And he's taken, he's dating a girl from New York City. Her name's Amanda, you know? Who's Amanda? So it's a big deal for us. Uh, to get to get people from major cities, so I don't know. Just please receive it. If you don't hear anything else that I say, like staying is a huge deal. Staying sane in these last months is a is a huge deal. Staying in the church is a huge deal. It matters staying in a church plant, I think matters even more um, because what I've watched at the church that I planted is that volunteerism has just fallen off, not just in the church, but outside of the church. So that you're here and, and you wanna be known um, and you wanna serve is, is a huge deal. You guys staying in the faith is a huge, huge thing. Staying employed <laughs> is a big deal. Employing others in this last season has been a big uh, deal. So hear me say, uh, this, is ki- this is kind. This is kind. This is a. It's a big deal. P- please receive uh, those words f- from me that I believe are also backed by our Father. You're still standing. I know you've taken some shots. I know you're probably still scared, still very much scarred and broken, but you're still standing, and that's a, that's a big deal. You're kind of a big deal to us. So you're still standing, and, in, and Tim's right. We're still standing with you. We uh, pray for you. We pray for the mission here. We pray for the people we know here it's not just you're still standing, we're, we're still standing uh, with you. Not just Radiant Church in Visalia, but as Tim said, our family of churches, we're, we're cheering you on. Almost in this, like, if they can make it, then, 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 then we can make it where we're at. If they can endure this, if they can make it through this, if they can plant a church in the midst of a pandemic, then surely all things are possible <laughs> through God. <laughs> I mean, we really are. Uh, cheering uh, you guys on. So, I don't know the ins and outs of what you've uh, faced, um, but I do know a little bit based on what I've walked through and what we've walked through, and um, I think it's amazing that you're here, again, with a little faith in your heart, and some sort of song on your lips is, is, is so good. So, um, I was having flashbacks. I woke up early at Tom's house and changed uh, my message, so um, maybe ask me after the service if that was a good uh, decision, but I'm going to go f- for it any- anyway, but I woke up this morning and um, was, was preparing, felt a little nervous uh, to share, and um, I'm at uh, Tom's house drinking Tom's coffee And I was reminded, I was reminded, I was having flashbacks of waking up at Tom and Josie's house in Canterbury, England, getting ready to speak at their church called City Church. And uh, that was nearly seven uh, years ago, but it's the, these are the memories that came flooding back as I prepared uh, this morning. And... um, I was there to build relationships with people because I didn't want to be the guy who snatched Tom and Josie away. Again, it was a recruiting trip. It wasn't care. I didn't care. It was recruiting going on. And uh, yeah, I mostly, I just w- wanted to be known and wanted to see Tom and Josie's world and felt like it would be helpful for them as they came over to the US for me to understand where they've come from and what they were leaving behind in order to come here and plant this. So I just wanna say to you, uh, if you're a part uh, of this, that I've watched um, Tom and Josie uh, worship in every season. And I've watched them worship in multiple locations, different places, I've watched them seek to honor God. And uh, I've watched them live by faith for seven uh, years now. And I think what makes a leader is actually their ability to follow. I think the best leaders are just simply the best followers. That when everyone sits back and prefers uh, comfort prefers looking good, prefers being right, prefers being the critic, uh, leader, leaders follow. And um, I've watched them follow uh, in, like I said, in every season. There's been highs uh, and lows, but they've sought to honor God and be obedient in, in, in every season. So I commend them to you as leaders simply because I've watched them follow. Uh, with their whole hearts. I've watched them follow when they weren't feeling it. I've watched them follow when they were. And uh, I've uh, I've been blessed by that. So I commend them to you. Follow them as they follow Christ. They will, whether they like it or not, take their orders from the Lord Jesus. And so that's the kind of leadership um, that you would want and the type of leadership that I would Commend, I think, in the words of Tom and Josie, they, they wobble a little bit. They're wobbly. But they honor God uh, with their lives and they walk in obedience even when they're weak in the knees. And uh, that's been an inspiration to us and a, and a blessing to us. So, do you think that's true, Tiff? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, I want to uh, just, I want to talk about the wilderness, specifically a God-appointed wilderness, because uh, we all know we can wander, and that can be the result of our own dumb doing, right? Everyone's taken a walk in this room, <laughs> and sometimes that's the result of decisions that I've made, but there is such thing as a God-appointed wilderness and a sort of wandering that he uses. And so, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Exodus. We'll be in multiple chapters as we um, read the story of what happened to the Israelites. I wanted to, in the midst of this kind of crazy pandemic, I wanted to better understand the role of the wilderness for the people of God. And... I think my search, I I can think of at least three reasons why I wanted. I mean, some of me just wanted to figure out, like, what the heck are you doing, God, um, in all of this? Um, But I wanted language. I wanted language to describe what was happening because language creates connection. And I felt like there was so much isolation. And I felt like if I could find language for what was happening, um, then I could build community in a season where it seemed to be. Uh, being uh, picked apart or destroyed, I was looking for some some sort of precedent for what everyone kept saying was unprecedented. Um, I wasn't I wasn't convinced that it was unprecedented, uh, but I didn't have language for it. And then the third reason is I wanted to make sure that we were, as a church, living into the right story, instead of the the wrong uh, story. So. The Exodus story, what happened to the Israelites, what happened to the people of God? You seen the Prince of Egypt? You seen that one? <laughs> so even if you've not read the Bible's account, you've probably seen the Ten Commandments with Charlton, Charleston, Heston, no, Charlton Heston, Charlton, Charlton. Charlton. wow. <laughs> um, what happened to them is not just what happened to them, it's what happens to us, it's a, it's a pattern. Um, that we can uh, look to. And when the Bible tells this story, it doesn't just want to recount, again, what happened to them, but give us a glimpse of what might happen to us. The Exodus story is our story. Whether you know the Exodus story or not, it's probably your story. The story goes something like this, if I could summarize it. The people of God pursue safety in Egypt. That place of safety becomes a place of slavery and bondage and then they're delivered by God's hand and then they're delivered not right into the promised land but into a season of wandering which is where we find ourselves on this earth at this time and then finally finally they inherit the promised land but this is the story that I guess I'm hoping we live into. Jesus, as you know, had his own wilderness experience. You've probably read or heard about that where he's tempted by the enemy. And what's the story that Jesus is living into? He's living into the Exodus story. He's quoting the Exodus. So as he's facing temptation, facing his own personal wilderness, he's living into the Exodus story. Saying this is the story I'm gonna live into. Why is it so important? Why are you talking about stories? Stories eat science for lunch. That's what we're learning. Yep. Stories are everything. Oh, the science. The science? Like you mean the story? Yeah, the, the story about the science. <laughs> stories trump data all day long. And that's, that's what we're experiencing right now. And so the stories that we're telling ourselves, the stories that we're rehearsing, the things that we're saying inside are so crucial if we're to have a God-appointed wilderness and not a wilderness of our own dumb doing. So the wilderness is referred to often in Scripture. It's called the, it's called the wilderness, called the desert. It's called a deserted place. It's called a desolate place, a solitary place, a quiet place, a lonely place. And obviously today as I talk to you about a wilderness, We're using an analogy. We're using a metaphor. So I guess I wanted to help you um, maybe grab... I I wanted to answer the question, how would you know, Trav, if you were in a wilderness? And then how would you know if that was a God-appointed wilderness and not just something I've done or someplace I've gotten off track? How How do I know if I'm in a wilderness? Well, here's what I see in kind of, uh, I guess, or, or this, this is going to turn into a Jeff Foxworthy bit where like you might be a redneck if. You might be in a wilderness <laughs> if. This is a season of, of education. That's what happens in the wilderness. It's a place of discover, discovery. Lessons are given. It's a place of tremendous insight and revelation It's also a place of testing. And as you know, probably based on your own experience, um, tests can yield different results. And we often can have what we don't understand exposed through testing. So tests are great when you ace those tests. Tests are tough when they expose what we don't know, and the gaps in our understanding and a lot of that's been going on for me and I'm sure that's been going on for you. Tests reveal, they expose and one of the things that's interesting about the wilderness is that people emerge from the wilderness or can emerge from the wilderness with great clarity and power. That is brought on like through the pain and pressure of the wilderness the testing. The testing is what brings the clarity and the power, right? I don't know if you uh, have realized this, but there are things that can only be added to our lives through pain. I hate this. Don't nod. Don't smile. This is like the worst. If this goes well this morning, honestly, I'll learn nothing. If this fails, if this flops, if I struggle while well, there's something to be gained or learned, right? We can receive quite an education through pain and suffering and uh, loss. During the pandemic, Tiff and I had a close friend who lost his son to leukemia. And I hadn't seen him for some time, uh, I was headed to meet with him, and of course, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling because I'm supposed to be the person with answers, I'm supposed to be the guy with something to say, and there's just nothing to say when someone suffered like that. And when I encountered him, I did not um, encounter uh, someone who was confused, I actually encountered someone with tremendous clarity about what matters and who God is, and where his hope is found. And I remember leaving the prayer time going like, my goodness, this type of suffering, like the worst suffering I can fathom is what he just walked through. He just did the gauntlet that we all maybe fear the most. And I remember thinking, oh, he has emerged from the wilderness with clarity. And with that clarity, about what's important and what's not, has come tremendous power. So the wilderness, if you're in the school of God, the wilderness is like a mandatory field trip, like the, mon- the, mon- the aquarium, or what a- whatever the mandatory field trip was where you grew up. The missions, or whatever. It's mandatory. It's not just the result of your own dumb doing. Jesus, who did everything the father asked him to do, was led by the father into the wilderness. Mandatory field trip, because it's a place of education through pain. The second thing I noticed that was really helpful for me is that the wilderness is, a, is presented in Scripture as a paradox, which is, which is what the last couple of years have been for, for many of us, maybe for you the last decade has just been a real mix. On one hand, the wilderness is presented as a place of danger, exposure, where people are subjected to the elements, temptation, rebellion, difficulty, trials, lack, all of that comes with the desert. And then on the other hand, the desert is presented as a God's country. When When they were in slavery, they were in Pharaoh's land. And they were about to inherit the promised land the wilderness was God's land it's a place of divine encounter a place of miraculous provision it's filled with the presence of God the people of God are literally being led by the physical presence of God it's got this kind of like it'll make or break you but it won't leave you the same which seems to be what I've been picking up from, uh, from people on. So this is just a great way to understand the last season in our lives, whatever that is for you, as just a paradox, right? As something that defies category. The best of times, the worst of times, right? Like, I've never been so close to my kids, never been so close to killing my kids, same day. Like, that's like, that's like the first half of the day. The other part's the second half of the same day. Just this insane mix as the clarity comes and there's pain and there's people coming and there's people uh, going and jobs are changing and things are shifting. And like, people have asked me like, I don't even know how to answer the question, like, how are you doing anymore? Anybody else like go, I don't really know. I don't know. I used to just answer it quickly and flippantly and be like good or busy, probably busy more than good, but that's that's what it was. Now people ask and I'm like, I don't know, it's such a mix. Even if it's been good for your family, you know that it's been terrible for other families. And so you feel like I can't even celebrate that. If it's been good for your business, you understand that other businesses have shut down. If it's been a, a a life-giving time in the city, you know that it's been a really difficult time for others, and you don't know how to answer it. Another reason you might be in a wilderness right now is it's disorienting. There's no familiar markers, um, and, and there's just really nothing familiar about the desert. This pattern emerges in Scripture over and over again, and it's one of... Um, orientation disorientation reorientation or location dislocation relocation and this is what happens for the israelites in the exodus story again they go to egypt for shelter and refuge the place of safety then becomes a place of captivity like this womb where they grew became this tomb where they could no longer stay. And then God delivers them, and then he fills them with vision for the promised land. But before they inherit this location, they go through a season of dislocation. Before they're relocated, they're dislocated. And I think when I think of the desert, I don't know about you guys, but do you think of like seeing for miles and miles? When I think of the desert, I think about seeing 30, 40 miles and every direction but that's actually not what the desert or the wilderness was for them it was a rocky hill country they couldn't actually see very far where they were at in Goshen that's where you could see 30 40 miles in every direction and now they find themselves where they can see just what's in front of them and they can't see beyond that and that's been so true uh, for us just this craving that we've had uh, for a plan right right This is that season. I just feel like there's a migration happening. There's no other way to describe what's gone on. Is that people who were once located are being dislocated and relocated. And it helps me to understand that there's precedent for this. Helps me understand, give me language. Another reason you might be in a wilderness is just full of temptation. The wilderness is full of temptation. And the reason it's full of temptation is there's nothing about the wilderness that appeals to your senses. It doesn't look good. It doesn't taste good. It doesn't feel good. And so we find ourselves wanting to escape the reality that we're in, which is where many of us have been. If you've been in recovery, you know that there are some times where you go looking for temptation, and there are other times where temptation comes looking for you. Like you're actually minding your own business, and it's beating down your door. Well, you might be in a wilderness if The door is being kicked down. Lastly, one thing I noticed about the wilderness was that it's just so poorly timed. It's just the worst. Like we're gonna start a church in 2019, you know? And you're like, whoa! It was hilarious. Uh, My I turned 40 in 2020, so it wasn't just 2020. I was finally going to get my act together, you know, and I was going to lose weight and do all these amazing things, you know. <laughs> it's so poorly timed. Jesus comes up out of the water. Here's the father's voice. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then he's led out into the wilderness. I'm sure he didn't see that one coming next. Or it's like, I don't, <laughs> it was so hilarious, the momentum we had and then what, what happened uh, to us all. So this, this, this was all just, sorry, this is all an intro. <laughs> Are you guys okay? I'll make this short. But So just the second question was then, wh- wh- like I, I hate the wilderness uh, for the reasons I probably just listed. But why does God like it? And what does God want in it? I'm a, I'm a horrible uh, speller, uh, but there's one word I never misspell, which is I, I never mix up desert and dessert. Because some teacher, God bless her soul, taught me like dessert, you want two, two of that. So you want to spell dessert with two S's. Desert, you don't want two of that. You want one of that. And I just thought, yeah, that's really true. So why the heck does God want two of that? Is the way it feels sometimes like, why is He into it? It would never be something we would choose. So why does He like this, and what does He want uh, from it? And I'm I'm not old. I'm I'm just 41, and this is all the wisdom I can muster. Um, but I believe that this is for God, a place of preparation. That, that you're being prepared through this. Exodus 13 um, shows me that God's wanting to prepare us in the wilderness. Pharaoh let the people go who'd been in slavery for quite some time. And it says that God did not lead them. This is, this is Exodus 13:17. When Pharaoh let the people go, it says God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt, but God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, they went up equipped for battle. So they probably thought, having seen these great miracles, that they were ready for A fight that they probably thought right away like okay let's i've been in captivity for hundreds of years i'd say i'm ready for my own place give us that promised land lord if they would have saw what they were going to have to face initially they would have turned around is what god says here so he wants to ready you in the wandering what is being prepared through the wandering the people of god here they aren't led the most direct route they aren't led the shortest way. They certainly aren't ever led the easiest way. They are led God's way. He leads them. And because God knows they're not ready for battle, He says, take another lap. Let's go around. We're not going the shortest direction. So, it's, it's, somewhere, it's something along these lines. And, and you all know this. That you can't trust something until it's been tested. You can't trust what's not been tested. And so David, King David, emerges from the wilderness ready to face Goliath. Why? Because he killed a lion and a bear in the wilderness. And it wasn't just that he killed a lion and a bear. It was that there was revelation of God's character that came in that season that was what was needed. His understanding of God in the Old Testament is completely unparalleled. He got that in the wilderness. There's no other place to get that. So he's ready to face Goliath, not because he's got mad sling skills. He got some of those. He did kill a lion and a bear. But what he has is a revelation of God that prepares him to face giants, right? John the Baptist, he emerges from the wilderness with a revelation. Um, Again, he's the first guy to say, that's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Where did he get that type of clarity? In the wilderness. That's where he got it. And he's able to confront powers with his prophetic voice. We're watching power and the prophetic get linked up. It was always the prophet speaking to those, challenging those in places of power. That was John the Baptist. It cost him his head. I think he got that courage in the wilderness. Jesus, it says, emerged from the wilderness full of the Spirit's power. So weakness is exposed, gaps are seen, and can be addressed in the wilderness. He readies us in the wandering. The second thing is that we learn in the desert that God is the one who fights for us. And you learn that in the desert when you've got no fight left in you. As Pharaoh lets the people go, then Pharaoh has this change of heart and he goes to get what he just let go. And the Israelites, which were his like, slave labor, they're gone, they're camped along the Red Sea. They're vulnerable, they're trapped. They're stuck, they're, they got nowhere to go. And then the Egyptians begin to ride up on them. And it says in Exodus 14, one chapter over, verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were Egyptians marching after them and they were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses... Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It's not that bad. It would have been better for us to serve them than to die in the desert. And then Moses answered, do not be afraid. Stand firm. You'll see the deliverance of the Lord. He'll bring it today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. The people of God, the people of God were not soldiers on this day. They were spectators on this day. And you may think, you may read this and go, oh, all they had to do was stand still and watch the Lord deliver them. Easy. Have you ever tried waiting on God? Like for real? Like Oh yeah, it's easy. We just we we'll wait on him; he'll fight for us. Oh my word! Have you ever tried like really trusting him? It's 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 tough. It's not easy, and the Lord fighting for you is a lesson you learn in the wilderness. This this keep your mouth shut and stand, and you'll see the deliverance of the Lord. That's a lesson in the wilderness. Spurgeon, uh, he's a he was a great preacher. He said this, I, I dare say you're going to think it's a very easy thing to stand still. But it's one of the postures which a Christian soldier learns not without years of teaching. I find that marching and quick marching are much easier to God's warriors than standing still. The apostle Paul seems to hint at this difficulty when he says, Stand fast, and having done all, still stand. <laughs> To stand at ease in the midst of tribulation shows a veteran spirit, long experience, and much grace. Love is not easily provoked. In success, like when we slay it, we tend to share the glory. I mean, we say to God be the glory, but that's not what we mean. We mean, I too can wield the sword. <laughs> we, we did this together. I love when my girls give gifts and it's like, I got this for us. You know, when we succeed, we share the glory. In the wilderness, you come out of the wilderness and you go to God. To God be the glory. And God alone gets the glory for this one. We're not soldiers, we're spectators. And we sometimes waited on Him, and other times it was too much for us. Lastly, when you're in the desert, you learn to trust in divine purpose and that God is at work in the bitter things. Come one more chapter into Exodus 15. They're on this journey. Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of, of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah, which means bitter, And people grumbled against Moses, and they're like, what do we drink? And then Moses cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. And we believe that this uh, log, this tree that's thrown into the water, is a picture of the cross of Christ. Christ. And the reality for us that even the bitter things can be made sweet. And you learn this in the wilderness. You begin to trust God's divine purposes. Begin to trust what He's up to. Sovereignly up to. That this Roman torture device can ultimately turn out to be something for God's glory. That's what we learn at the cross. We learn at the cross, the the cross of Christ, that even suffering can turn out for our good and God's glory. That's what we learn at the cross. We learn at the cross that a God who seems silent and distant is actually actively involved. That's what we learn when we look at the cross. And I I believe we learn this in the wilderness, in the desert that even the bitter things can become sweet when the cross of Christ is applied. That somehow, when we look at the cross, some defeated God becomes victorious through death. That's what we remember when we see the cross. The promises of God are enough to keep us, even when our old way of life looks tempting, the story's riddled with people going, can we go back to Egypt? Can we just go back? They're like, they keep talking about the meat pots. (laughs) But there were meat pots. But the meat, I mean, this is how I think of 2019. Like one huge, like a meat pot. I was like, what was I complaining about? What, did I have a problem in 2019? What was wrong with me? Meat pots. And now we're out here on bread. We don't even know what we're doing next month. Like, we can't see in any direction. We're disoriented. What is this? The promises of God are enough to keep us when things are difficult and when we're tempted to turn back. They're enough. The promises of God are just enough, though. Dang it. All the people who talk about promises have jets. Have you noticed that? And they want to talk about tenfold, hundredfold, You know, that you're going to have abundantly more than anything you can ask or imagine. That seems to be what people say when they're talking about the promises of God. But I don't know about you guys, but I found the promises of God to be just enough. Like, I don't know how many times I've gotten a check for like 500 bucks and thought, oh, we're going to we're putting this in savings. And then my brakes start squealing on the way to the bank, you know, (laughs) It's true. And then I'm supposed to say, thank you, Lord, for providing for my breaks. But I'm like, I, want it. I don't want daily bread. I want a pantry. And I want it filled like this. And I want things filed like this. I don't want just enough. Often we want out of the heat. And what we get is a cool cup of water. His promises are enough to keep us. They're enough to keep you guys. I want to give us an opportunity just to uh, respond. And I maybe preached this right out of a response by going long, but I just want to ask right now just that you would own your story before God. And if this has been, you can say, honestly, this has been an education and God is preparing me. I, I don't know for what, and it feels right now like I'm failing, but I know God's testing me for a reason. Would you go ahead and stand? If you're here and you feel like the lesson is you're supposed to be still and trust. Everything in you wants to get out. Everything in you wants to escape. There's all sorts of options and temptation coming your way. And you're needing to learn the lesson that God is the one who will fight for you. You need only to stand still. Would you stand I guess if you already stood and you're thinking, yeah, that's me too, you could maybe put a hand on your, up or you could stand on your chair if you want. If you're needing to learn during this season to trust divine purpose, that even the bitter things, things that aren't good can be good, and you know God's doing this, would you stand? And if there's a massive lesson going on in your life in the area of dependence, where you're actually on daily bread. Would you go ahead and stand? (laughs) Do we have communion elements here or no? We do? Here we are, guys. Standing. I thank You, Lord, that we're not alone. That we stand with Your people throughout history. That we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses that were also tested and also got squirmy. And I want to thank You, Jesus, for Your time in the wilderness. I want to thank You, Jesus, that You um, succeeded where we failed. I want to thank You, Jesus, that You prepared a meal for us that we couldn't make. We couldn't make this meal. And You prepared this for us. Your body broken for us. Your blood shed for us. We thank You, Jesus, that You'll fight for us. That you found us. That You're seeking us. That You're after us. I thank You, Jesus. We trust You. We trust You. And we say that you have You know a way, and only You know a way that bitter things can become sweet. That You can redeem things that no one else can redeem. And when we think to ourselves, what good could come out of this? Somehow, You're the One who can, who can make something come of this. And we just want to say with this cup and with this bread that You're enough to sustain us. That Your love is enough for us. That Your grace is enough for us. That You're for us and You're not against us. I pray right now, Lord, Lord, that You would bring insight and clarity to those who felt confused. I do ask that You would disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadow You would put to flight and people would have a sense this is what God wants in this season. This is what He wants from me.